You're listening to Tango Uncorked. Hello, everybody. How long has it been? Que tiempo. Is that what they say? Que tiempo. Uh, it's been a while. Six weeks, I believe. I had a tremendously busy September, and now I'm having a tremendously slow October. <laughs> and I hope everybody's doing well and welcoming the new seasons. It is a beautiful day out. Brisk, chilly, the leaves are turning. I uh, So what happened was I did a show last month with my friend Jason, and uh, I had to move my car. And it's taken me a long time to find parking. That's where I've been this whole time. But I finally found parking. So we're back. We're on uh, episode 17, even though it says 19 in the podcast feed for some reason. Um, but it's 17. Or is it 19? It doesn't really matter. Have you subscribed yet? Please subscribe. That's all I have to say. If you're looking for a tutorial on how to subscribe, you can listen to the previous episode where my guest Jason Koo subscribes on air. It took about one second. You just hit the button. Uh, what's been going on with me? What's been going on with you? Have you been dancing? Have you been leaving New York or moving to New York? I uh, Every week we make events for Tango Cafe. And, of course, every month for Malaleche, and I go through and I invite, I click all those invite buttons, or Chico does. And more and more, <laughs> there's less and less of the people that I've met over the past 15 years still here in New York. It's a little sad, although I'm happy you're all doing well out there in the world, and I hope you are. But, um, wow, yeah, there's a ton of people that used to live in New York who no longer live here. And I guess we'll just have to get used to that. But you're always welcome back. Uh, on the show today, I have Dagny Arizona, Dagny Miller. She is a dancer, a artist, a creator. Um, we speak a lot about what projects she has going on and um, sort of what fuels her and what what we believe makes an artist an artist, I guess, or what, what we're trying to achieve as artists. Um, it was an interesting conversation. A little noisy at times. I, I record sometimes out of the dance studio, and uh, that's in Midtown across from Madison Square Garden, and then it can be a little loud there. But you'll uh, you'll hear the soundtrack of New York City behind us, mainly just sirens and people honking. What else? I did go to a writing workshop last night, um, and then I stayed for the open mic. It was very interesting. I suggest you guys try it. I never thought... I mean, I used to write when I was younger, but... Never in any serious way, but I find um, the more and more I start going, and that is like starting to actually put words down, my thoughts sort of go places they wouldn't maybe go if I was just sitting on a chair thinking. I don't know. Does that make sense? So it's been kind of fun. Uh, my hand hurts a little bit, but that's okay. I'll have to strengthen up my hand for writing. What else is going on? Halloween party. Tango Cafe is, uh, we're going to have a Halloween party this year because it's right around that time. I think it's the uh, day before Halloween. Some years we skip it all together because it's just too far away. The But we will be, 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 be we will be having a Halloween party October 30th, so join us for that. And we're going to be ringing in the new year, celebrating the big 2020. Uh, the theme of New Year's Eve will be the 1920s. And we are considering pretty seriously, we're going to have a Lindy Hop room. 
as well as the big room for tango and we'll have drinks and things like that and uh, that'll be a Tuesday night so what we're gonna do on Wednesday is have tango cafe but it's gonna be earlier than usual uh, sort of like a hangover milonga for those of you who are imbibe um, we'll have more details coming soon on all that not much else to report at this time we have tango cafe tomorrow evening with DJ Rafael visiting from Colombia it's been a while since we've had him and he will be available for private lessons while he's in New York, so you can uh, come say hi and ask him about that tomorrow evening. I think that's all we have to report. Um, some of you heard the story about the weekend with Horacio and Cecilia. It was a quite a interesting weekend and went to Cleveland and was able to take their workshops once again and really solidify the information. So that was rewarding I feel like sometimes I remember as a newer dancer I couldn't wait to learn everything I could learn and then I reached a point where I thought I knew everything and then I'm at a place now after 16 years where I'm super excited to know I still have a lot to learn and I think that is just as much to say about the information out there in the world as is the personal journey I'm on to keep learning and growing um, but we're going to talk about stuff like that with Dagny Miller in the interview coming up. So I'll leave it I'll leave it for that moment. Thank you for listening and please enjoy the show. five words five words that's two <laughs> oh man okay <laughs> that's, that's five okay so keep in mind that this isn't live so yeah. if there's any like whatever i can always go back and change it or it was delete going it. to be whatever rebecca's like you're gonna cut this out <laughs> oh i must have forgot to do that oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you heard it she, then i forgot to cut she, it out she did it a couple of times where she's like we're gonna cut this out right and you're like Oh, uh, maybe <laughs> it was still in there. Yeah, I didn't. I I have cut a few things, but generally. Yeah, I mean, like it wasn't inflammatory. You guys were going off about um, I think it was Harry Potter. And oh, so yeah. she's so, like, "You're gonna cut this out." <laughs> I think she just was worried. She was wondering why the hell I wasn't talking about Tango the whole time. Yeah. That that was the vibe I got. She was like, "Um, why aren't we talking about Tango?" And I was like, "I don't know." I get it. No, I, I saw she was trying to like bring it back, mm -hmm. which was good to sometimes. But this back. whole this whole thing is a just a way for I don't know to promote whoever's yeah, on the no, show I, and the community. I liked all the episodes so far. It was really and good. talk about tango and talk about how it's helped us and uh -huh. not helped us and yeah. all these things. So I was looking at your website, mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to ask you if there's any story behind your middle name. <laughs> um. I have had a running story uh, okay. that I've made up in my brain. And then last week in Toronto, Alberto actually gave me another oh, really? possibility of why my name could be Arizona, which it's a state. Um, I'm going with that my the story that my parents told me, which is they went to Arizona right before I was born. Um, they went camping, and they just had such a lovely time, and it was so beautiful. They really enjoyed being outdoors, and they decided to name me Arizona as my middle name. I kind of like how it sounds actually at first I when I was younger I was like this is weird I'm named after a state but 
no, somehow. No, I think it's cool. I think it's somehow. Cool and then Alberto's like, are you sure that's not where you were conceived? And I was like, ah, <laughs> well. He's yeah, like, I mean, they, I'm oh, just going <laughs> to. On that note, I'm going to close. So I think Alberto might be onto something, but. <laughs> You probably won't find out until, like, your parents are in a place where they're like, there's just one more thing you need to know. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I calculated what I could ask them when that trip was and if I count backwards nine months, mm-hmm. that would kind of tell me. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up actually going when I think I was 15. That was, so nine years ago, nine or ten years ago, um, my sister and I and my parents, she was eight. We hiked down the canyon and back up. And it was a series of unfortunate events in the first, like, 20 minutes. My mom was already feeling nauseous from the heat, and I tripped in a ditch and twisted my ankle. Oh, no. And my dad's like, are we going to do this? Because we could turn back. Like, I'm proud that we made it this far, but... You were ca- you were hiking into the Grand so Canyon. So we were hiking down into the Grand Canyon, carrying everything with us to get and all the And did you down. know which route you were on? Yeah, yeah. Because was... I'd tried that once, and I accidentally picked the, like, hardest one. I didn't know. Oh, we no. just went down the first yeah, one we no, saw. Yeah, it no, was, it was really calculated, especially okay. now. I think they're making it even more difficult to be able to go. Right. So you have to go, you have to, like, get a license, like, six months in advance. Oh, dear. And, yeah, they're really regulating how many people are going down. Um, and so we, we did it in a couple of days. So you can, there are some people that will, like, go down and come back in one day. Right. Yeah. which is insane and it takes a very long time but we split it up so every day we went halfway down and then fu- fully down to the bottom and then halfway back up and hmm. then back out um and every day we learned a little bit more about how to survive it was like 100 we went in july which is probably not the time to do it because it gets to like 114 mm-hmm. fahrenheit in the daytime um and then we progressively left earlier which you basically have to get in all of your hiking before the sun comes up at that temperature if you don't want right. to die from a heat stroke. Oh, we didn't introduce who you are. Oh, okay. Uh, are hi, everybody. Today, today I am with Dagny Miller, also known as Dagny Arizona Miller. <laughs> yeah, I, I always I forget that sometimes. Okay. So <laughs> the introduction part. Yes. Yeah. Um, when was that? You said that was seven or eight years ago? Um, it was nine or ten. Oh, okay. Um, I was, so I'm 24 now. It was when my my sister was eight, and I think I was probably like fifteen ish. Mm. Um, but it was it was a very intense experience, and I still remember it very clearly. And it was very interesting. You, you kind of got tougher as the days went by, and <laughs> you made peace with the fact that you felt like you were having heat stroke <laughs> at all times. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, it, it was so hot, and um, you really kind of push, your, your, you push yourself past um, physical points that you thought you could, mm-hmm. especially being so young. And I'm very proud of my sister when she did it. She was even younger than me, and we didn't have her carrying anything. I had, I think, all the food, which is, you know, they had to make sure I did get left behind. But we had to carry <laughs> everything down and back out and every morning we left slightly earlier so that way we can get most of the hiking done before the sun came out which is when it got really hot um as an eight-year-old i'm assuming your sister was probably not happy (laughs) well we we were always raised to be very athletic and it was not so much the physicality that was difficult so much as dealing with the heat right we you know we're from new york and it does get hot in the summer but you're not really used to having All the time to being in be, it, yeah. yeah just hours well i have um, a seven-year-old niece and i can only imagine and she's a great kid and everything but i can mm-hmm. imagine if i stuck her in the desert for three days she would 
it wouldn't take her long to start complaining about things. No, we, we kind of wanted to do it. And I, I mentioned that like within the first few minutes, we had already had some problems. And so mm. we were carrying everything that we needed to carry with us. And I think my mom was starting to already get sick from the heat. And I tripped in the stairs because the stairs are stairs, quote unquote. Um, parts of the trail are made out of like dirt and wooden right. um, stairs, essentially. But since they had been so worn out, imagine going 100 people going down, right. yeah, yeah. you know, dirt. So it creates a divot. And so I tripped in one of these divots and kind of twisted my ankle and we had to stop. I wrapped it up. And so my father looked at all of us, told us he was very proud right. that we'd made it this far. And but he did offer the option of... Yeah. Okay. We were like, okay, we made it. And we totally were intending to, but if we're going to, you know, struggle and it's not going to be healthy for us to do this, you know, I'm proud that we made it this far, but we're all like, no, we got here. We have to do it. And so, um, so we mustered it up. We did end up forgetting a a mattress uh, cushion uh, along the way. At some point, we just forgot one. Yeah. And so sleeping on the dirt <laughs> was not uh, as fun as it could have been, slightly more comfortable if sleeping on the ground is comfortable. Um, but it was... It was a really great lesson, a great lesson in endurance. I would love, we want to do it again. We're actually trying to do like a 10 year anniversary oh, or right. something like that. That's um, cool. And see if we'll be, we'll fare a little better than we did the first time. Um, but just learning how to ration water and ration your stamina was a really good lesson. At some point, we ended up near the Colorado River and it was already approaching maybe 11 o'clock, which the sun was already out. and it was so beautiful to be in the river, and we were really taking advantage of how cold it was and enjoying that, not realizing that we had gone through most of our water already, and we were mm -hmm. still a ways away from the next stopping point where there would be fresh water to drink. And so we expended way too much energy in the river, um, not really realizing it, just enjoying ourselves until we got out, and we were sort of panting and realizing that we had used a lot of energy we still had several miles to go and our water was not as full mm. as we thought it was and my sister wasn't doing too well we ended up finding um, this little rock that had protruded out and provided shade which at that point of the day was not a very common occurrence there's really nowhere to find shade but we just manifested this sort of rock outlook yeah i was going to ask you if you're hiking in the morning before the sun comes up mm -hmm. then what are you doing all day just well <laughs> i was going to ask like of finding yeah. shade or pitching a tent and just laying low until the heat passes yeah basically. actually yeah. That, that was it <laughs> the first day that we did that i sort of made the mistake of putting my backpack on the table we all just passed out we got to our campsite and i literally just fell asleep on the bench of the um there's a picnic table I think I was on one side, my mom or my sister was on the other side. We were just laid out, exhausted, and I put my bag simply on the table next to me. I woke up, and there were some squirrels that were eating through the bag Whoa. to try to get to a granola bar. Mm. So they partially ate through my hairbrush. And wow. um, yeah, and they another one found our coffee. <laughs> we had some instant coffee powder, and they were bouncing off the walls. <laughs> so uh, we realized that's why there were hooks. There are uh, like really tall hooks that you can hang you hang your food right. bags on so that the animals can't get to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we didn't make that mistake again. And I had a chewed hairbrush and a tattered bag for the rest of the day. But yeah, we pretty much collapsed. And you, you just relax for a few hours, catch up on sleep. Um, if there's a river, sometimes there is. And you just relax there. But 
you really had to get a bulk of the hiking out of the way if you didn't. Yeah, uh, some things I think we do before we're fully prepared and then you like you just learn trial under fire. Yeah, it was uh, four days, so we progressively left earlier. Uh-huh. So by the fourth day, we're like, yeah, we got this. Um, let's keep going. But by the time we finished and figured it out, that's usually what happens. <laughs> like once you get good at something, you're like finishing. You're, up, you're yeah. finishing it up. Um, but now we know for this time, if we happen to go again, that'd be fun. Mm. Oh, that sounds like crazy. Uh, I tried to ride my bike around Lake Erie once because mm-hmm. I had a friend who rode from Vancouver to like San Diego with his brother. And so one day I got up. I was pro- it was before I moved here. I was probably like 19 or 20. So I got up one day and I got on my bike and I I just, I taped a bag of trail mix to like the fen- the middle bar mm-hmm. and I just started riding and um, at the end of the first day I'd blown my knees out oh. because I rode for like six mm-hmm. hours and then the next day I got and I forgot to bring a tent or anything because mm-hmm. I, th- I didn't I was pretty naive <laughs> about this so I, I find a campsite I sleep I wake up the next day I could walk just fine so I thought oh I'm good I can ride more but it was actually the motion of the pedaling it's and i also couldn't walk upstairs very well for about six months Oof. um and so i had to end up calling my dad to pick me up which is kind of funny because i was only about a 45 minute drive away even though it was about yeah. an eight hour bike ride <laughs> oh, gosh. and i got home and i was totally sunburned and i spoke to my buddy who had ridden his bike from vancouver to san diego and he didn't tell me before i'd left that he spent six months training for the <laughs> Yep. Sometimes it's better to just do it. And, and I just jump like in. got up one morning at like eight a.m. and I was like, I'm gonna go do this thing. I'll be back in a couple of days. It's cool. And yeah. then you're like, Holy fuck! What am I doing? Here? Well, see, at least you didn't psych yourself out. You know, you just went for it, and you might have gone farther than if you would have known going into it. So. Yeah. He also told me like they averaged like four to eight miles a day, and I was mm-hmm. I was like I put like forty five in my first day or something Gosh. crazy. I almost made it to Toledo from Cleveland. Wow. I think it's even more than that. So yeah, that was just learning uh learning as you go Mm kind of like this podcast Mm -hmm. um so i was checking out your website which is dagny arizona.com dot com yeah i got that url i'm very proud there's no other dagny arizona's out there apparently or if they are they want their url there is a dagny.com um and that was taken and somebody the the origin of the name is is scandinavian needs a new day and Apparently, it's also a term of respect, I believe, for the elderly. And so on Dagny.com, there's a comment from somebody who is trying to make a network for old people (laughs) wanting to use the URL, but this woman was not, this Dagny was not keen to let her her website go. Yeah, Sharon made me buy my name, even though I don't use it. Yeah. Just, she said, well, it's better that you have it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. She's a computer person, so. Yeah, no, I think we're approaching... um, no, we are in a digital age, and having sort of your own parking spot hmm. on the interwebs is definitely a good idea, even if you don't use it. I, I have some URLs that I'm sitting on that I haven't used yet, um, and I mean, some people even buy them and try to sell them. To oh, yeah. I mean, that was trying to, yeah. huge back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. I heard, like, the guy bought, all these people were buying, like, starwars.com and yeah like anything they knew eventually mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Own, the original like invent not the inventors but the creators of that would you know, movie franchise it. would want to have their own so they paid big bucks to yep yeah. so good if only yeah, i had known i n- known about that you know like 
I used to want to, I, when I was a kid, I had a big billboard behind my house. And I always had this idea that you should make them digital. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what digital meant. I just thought, like, that should be like a giant TV instead yeah. of just one image. There you go. That was my invention, but I never As we collected sit across uh, one of the hugest <laughs> billboards <laughs> in next to Madison Square Garden. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you were onto something. I was, but I was like eight. <laughs> there are trends. There are trends. So I was on your website looking at your blogs to get some information. And you write a lot. This is an ongoing thing, Mm -hmm. and you have different topics. Do you know ahead of time? Is it just you just sort of categorize them as you write? Um, So I started doing this a couple of years ago. I have many interests, and I wanted to put what I've learned into one place. It actually started because I used to sit on my hair. It was so long that I, I was always struggling to keep it under control but it, it was I, it was a length that I could sit on it and so people were always asking me um, how to take care of long hair and so I was asked so many times that I decided okay that's it I'm putting everything I know into one post and I will redirect everybody every time they ask me what to do hmm. and so that's sort of where it started um, and I work in the daytime as a personal chef so I have a deep love of food so I have some stuff that is food related, but within the last six months, I think around January, I made a commitment to myself that I would post twice a week. So every Tuesday and Friday without fail for about six months, I was posting twice a week on tango topics or create creativity. Most of the time it was about tango, other times it was about dance, and sometimes it was about creative pursuits, but usually I was tying it back to tango. I just felt like I wanted to really commit to it because um, when I started, it was about two or three years ago. And I was writing here and there inconsistently, but when I made the commitment to write, it really, I felt like, unlocked um, unlocked its potential in that before I was not really treating it as a job and I would write here and there, but once I held myself personally accountable, um, it really forced me to be creative in ways that I had not been creative before and I really was able to tap into the potential that it could be um, and so, so you were because you wanted because you were forcing yourself to write twice a week. You, it opened up the need to be creative mm-hmm. for the sake of that. Yeah, that's something precisely. to write about, right? Precisely. And okay. so nobody was holding me to the schedule. I mean, right. besides my you know two people <laughs> that were probably reading it at the time. Um, but it was a commitment that I made to myself. And so that really just kept me in line in ways that if I didn't set. I need to get this done by Tuesday and I need to get this done by Friday. I wouldn't have um, been creative. Often we find that we may think creating boundaries limits our creativity, but mm. I found that by creating the, the boundaries that I had to get something done by this time point, it forced me to be creative. And that meant there were some weeks that I was very proud of myself. I had three posts lined up and I do everything myself. I do the writing, editing, Photography. I don't think I've ever used a photo that I didn't take myself, even if that means the post only has one photo. Um, I took, I take all of my photos. So some weeks I had three ready to go, and other weeks I realized, oh shoot, it's eleven forty-five. I need to get something done for today, mm-hmm. and so it really forces you to be snappy and just just get it done. And I, I really loved it. It forced, like I said, it forced me to be creative in ways that I hadn't been forced to before and writing about subjects that I loved so 
it's surprising that there is always something to write about. There's always something to create if you have to create it. And I recently switched to just once a week because I have a lot of other projects going on. Right. But now I'm trying to be consistent about Fridays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try, I try to be strict with myself because um, if you're working for yourself and you're on your own schedule, there's nobody telling you, like, you don't have a boss to say, you need to get this done by this time. It's really your own self, internal motivation that keeps you going. Without that, everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. And so I have to force myself to be disciplined about it or else the schedule will far, fall apart. And um, it just, yeah, the accountability is really what keeps me going. I don't want to see that streak be broken. And if it does, there's also a component of being gentle with yourself. You have to um, understand that you're human, things are happening, and at the end of the day, it's just a blog post. You know? Well, you said something that I wrote down that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write really sloppy, <laughs> especially when I just wake up without pushing to the point of da, 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 nothing. Da, 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 da. It had to do with what you just said about gentle with yourself. Oh, and that you cannot change the past you. So don't waste time on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that and, sounds uh, like something I would have written. <laughs> be gentle with the past you, but stop stealing time from the current you mm-hmm. by worrying about the past you. Yes. Something to that effect. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Well, you have a lot of posts, so I don't assume yeah. you memorize <laughs> each one of them. I'm, so, I'm actually very happy to say that I don't remember what post that was. Mm. Um, but it does sound like something I would have wrote. And I, I've been thinking a lot about happiness lately, um, especially as I'm going forward and plunging into the art world. I, was, I finished pre-med, and I was planning to go to medical school about two years ago when mm. I graduated, but I... At the end of my schooling got a personal chefing job and sort of thought that I would get back to my academic studies you know within a year um, I just wanted to take some time off because of course the pressures of pre-med and, and heavy sciences can be quite stressful and I just wanted to take a breather I was in deep academics for my entire life and I just wanted to explore make sure I was heading in the correct direction um, but at that time, I was also getting more immersed into tango. I was, when I was younger, training to be a ballet dancer. And so I'd always kind of skirted both worlds of being deeply in the arts. My father's an entrepreneur, a graphic artist, and runs his own business, advertising business. Hmm. And my mother is a, a nurse. And so the balance... So you are like, in, that's how you were raised, to be like <laughs> yeah. in between the two. <laughs> yeah, so I was in between an entrepreneur. And did you dad. grow up with a, a strict set of, I don't want to say strict, but... A dis- very disciplined kind of lifestyle. Did um, you feel? Like- no, I was. I was always sort of a good kid, and so there was never really con- quote unquote conflict with my parents. Um, and something I was discussing recently with a friend is that I was. I'm very grateful that my parents never said no, especially my father. And when, when I'm saying never said no, never said no to reasonable things. Yeah. I was not a kid that was like, oh, I want, I want a car on my 16th birthday. Oh, I want, I want this, this, and that. It was usually like, I, I really want this book or I want this set of paints. And especially if it came to the arts, there was never a no. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still surrounded by all of my art supplies, which I love, but I, I always tried to dabble in new, um, new mediums and I was never given a no. From my mom, who is not the artist, and from my father, who was very happy to support all of my pursuits. And so I think by them never telling me no and allowing me to 
believe. To, yeah, to, to immerse myself in something, even if I wouldn't go on to do that, that really kept my mind open to possibilities because it was never like, oh, you're not going to be able to do this as your job. There's no point of you trying this. It was always, yeah, sure, why not? And, you know, I got over wood making, you know, pretty fast or whatever <laughs> right. it was. Yeah. Um, but I did learn skills with every new medium and even just being aware of something is helpful, I think. Um, but I really do think the, the them always saying yes to things. Yeah, my father was the same. Like yeah. I had a, a guitar when I needed one or a drum set mm-hmm. or a bass or paints or notepads or I got a typewriter and wrote a screenplay. <laughs> nice. and I mean, yeah, he was always, my brother, you know, wanted to be an NBA basketball star, and it was like a four-foot white kid. <laughs> my dad put up a basketball hoop. It was yeah. like, you know, any, whatever you guys want to try, let's yeah, try, try it. it. I mean, and within his means, he yeah, didn't have a lot of, exactly. but, so I think that always gives, not even, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but permission. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't yeah, have that memory of somebody saying, no, you're never going to be good at this, because exactly. that really f- just fucks people up, like, mm-hmm. One one person telling you that as a child could just... Especially your parents. <laughs> that could just send you off course for the rest of your life. Totally. Yeah. So, so that's great that you had such you have still such supportive Yeah, and they're, they're still super supportive. Actually, today, I was just saying, I just came from registering as a sole proprietorship under my business name. and. Did you register in New York? Did I you did do register the Delaware in New York. Thing? Okay. I know <laughs> a lot the, of people do... What's the Delaware Well, you thing? pay, like, uh, <laughs> it's, it, to get an LLC in Delaware, it's like mm-hmm. 100 and something dollars, whereas in New York... I think, yeah, it's like 400 Yeah, so, like, a lot of people just... They register their business in Delaware, even though their business is here. Because for whatever reason, that's yeah. I don't think I have like the the brain power to keep all of that paperwork in line. So I did register in New York. Okay. Um, but my parents have been super supportive, especially my father, who, as an entrepreneur, is very happy to see his daughter follow in those in those footsteps. And so ever since I was young, you know, back to not saying no, it was anything that I wanted to try was a yes. And so. I'm very grateful for that because I, it gives me uh, the framework that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And with I think that if you know somebody, especially in your immediate family, tells you no from a young age, it's it's crippling. Yeah. It's something that that people bring with them um, their whole lives. And so I was very fortunate to be raised very well and um, very fluidly. And so as I was approaching the end of my schooling, and I realized that jumping into med school was not exactly what I wanted to do. They they respected that. Um, I'm still cooking, and I still love to do it, and so I think they thought that it would be slightly more temporary, but it's mm-hmm. something that I really love to do. Um, and so um, um, can I ask about mm-hmm. that? Because I don't know what a person... So, I mean, personal yeah, chef, it yeah, sounds yeah. like you are a personal chef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> are so you there's in all the different same, variations. Are you that. in the same place every day or are you gig? No. Do you travel around and gig in the city kind of deal? Yes. Yeah, so okay. it's more similar to that. So what I do is I, I meal prep essentially for mm-hmm. the same families tend to be the same time of the week uh, every week, but not the same meals necessarily. Right. And so it's just mostly people that are tired of taking out constantly and they're feeling sick and it's very expensive to do takeout. And so they want home-cooked meals done in their home and so I work with a really really lovely woman her name is Laura she's the one who contacted me needing help through a family friend and so it kind of worked out serendipitously that somebody that she was working with had to stop and Mm. our mutual friend put us together and she's absolutely amazing and I'm very grateful to have found her and I didn't know that a job like that was possible before um 
before I started doing this and mm-hmm. so I really enjoy it it gives me the flexibility and the freedom to pursue other things as well because it's not I don't do it full-time I you know I've been teaching tango now and doing some other art projects and that's sort of been taking up the other time but the personal chefing stuff is really lovely because I meet so many people that I wouldn't normally meet and they're all really nice and you're making food so everybody's happy yeah nobody's really mad at the person coming in making the house smell super amazing with and so you prep smells. for like the week several days at a time yeah it's usually I would say probably four to five days worth of food um, and maybe if you would say that you're doing like two meals like lunch and dinner so some for some people I prefer I prepare like family style prep in that I make like a huge stew and then a huge container of the stew is being stored in the refrigerator and then I have other clients that they want everything portioned out and Mm. so I'll have my individual lunch and dinner containers that they take to work so they don't have to order out and um, you do the shopping too the whole Um, thing so the shopping varies sometimes the clients like to find the food themselves especially Mm. if they're more complicated ingredients than fresh direct has to offer I am personally um, a fan of shopping myself because I like to feel my food. I like to see the food. I like to pick out my own vegetables. Right. But a lot of the times we use Fresh Direct. Mm-hmm. And so that delivers the food before the time frame that I'm going to be there. And so it, it, it varies with every client. Yeah, I mean, I guess it saves you time to not have to do all the legwork mm-hmm. as well. But I understand, like, getting there and knowing what you're going to have before you show up and just being like, oh, that's not ripe yet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I had many a time where I cannot make guacamole because my avocados just aren't ripe mm-hmm. and what Fresh Direct considers ripe and ready to eat is not is not what can be made into guacamole. I have to say yeah. I'm very good at picking good avocados. <laughs> Sharon and I have I'm the avocado. You're the avocado guy. Okay. In our family. That's good. <laughs> in our house, whatever. Yeah, she tends to not be the best with that. Um so I also like what you wrote about falling. Oh, yes. Okay, this one I do remember. <laughs> so you were at a practica? I was. I was at Robin's Practica, uh-huh. and I was dancing. I'll keep him unnamed just in case. Yeah, that's um, fine. He doesn't want to be, although he did oops, He did ask me later on about it, and I was like, okay, I'll just you know respect your privacy. I didn't know if you wanted to be mentioned, but we were practicing something, and it was neither of our faults. We were you know, pushing sort of our boundaries of movement. And I think he, he caught my foot in a way that he calculated he could not put his foot down without pulling me. And so instead of seeing if I would actually catch my balance, he made the executive decision to be my cushion. And so he kind of like twisted and threw himself under me. So when I fell forward, I would not just crash onto the floor, which was very gentlemanly of him, but <laughs> we did fall. I managed to catch myself on the way down, um, but I, I realized after that that I don't think I ever fell before, and I'm surprised because... Fell I, dancing. Yeah, yeah, fell dancing. Fell dancing yeah. Um, I've certainly been close to it many times, but I, I didn't ever fall onto the floor, which, in tango, I definitely <laughs> fell on the floor in ballet many times but I I realized that I had not fallen and then it made me think about risk taking and pushing myself and then somebody commented um, on my post which was really an interesting insight that she said that we shouldn't judge how hard we're trying by if we're falling because my, my sort of point in this post was 
I should have been falling. I should have been falling more often, and I felt like I hadn't been pushing myself if I realized only now I was falling because that means I was staying in a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I meant it more philosophically than right. physically. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I understand um, you don't want to fall every night. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> um, but it really did make me think about how I approach my art, how I'm approaching my dancing, and how I'm, you know, am I pushing myself to my limits? Well, the other I'm point you made, which I, I liked and mm-hmm. I agree with, is that if you're always in the safe zone, you're never pushing yourself. Exactly, yeah. is, falling so, is, a, is an extension of that metaphor, but really it's just saying, like, you know, we need to keep... Mm-hmm. We, we, I feel like we we tend to challenge ourselves until we reach a place where we're where we sort of succeeded in that yeah. challenge, and then we can plateau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I feel like the lo- the more you go on to do something, you know, whether it's dance or art or something, mm-hmm. those plateaus come further and further apart. Yeah, and they get but they get bigger and bigger each one because mm-hmm. it's harder to get to the ne- the next yeah, the plateau, next, yeah. right? And so you kind of get stagnant even if you're trying to mm-hmm. push yourself yeah so, so that fall had made me come to terms with how am I pushing myself as a dancer um am I staying in my comfort zone and so I really hoped that you know by posting this and showing other people yeah I do fall and now as I, I progress in my journey somebody that's that's um not as advanced as I am, might see a, a more advanced dancer and say, oh my goodness, they're perfect, they never fall, they never make mistakes. And I was sort of not only trying to reach my peers, but also reach people who are afraid to make those mistakes, say, look, we're not perfect. You know, you really do have to fall to to make things um, progress. And I feel like that's sort of the, not the fault, but a byproduct of posting everything on the internet too besides this one blog but now whenever we're posting something we're basically curating our best life for others to see and so we rarely post things about mistakes we rarely post the less than perfect pictures and I don't want that to be crippling to me to others Um, I totally understand why we create curated content but Mm -hmm. it's a it was a bid to not forget that there are mistakes that happen behind the perfect performance and um, it's okay to let those falls be known. Um, it's very human, and, and it means that we're progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I had a conversation a few years ago with a woman named Jessica Kaiser, mm-hmm. and she's like really fucking smart. She's like <laughs> so smart. It, she's a philosopher, but uh-huh. like, and we were practicing once at Xavier's Practica, and I said something to her, and something about like, do you ever wake up in the morning and just feel like kind of guilty about? what you are not doing with yourself or mm-hmm. you could be doing more or blah, blah, blah. And she was like, yeah, all the time. And I, I, I felt so relieved <laughs> because I feel that way a lot, even though I like I feel that I do a lot and I'm productive and, you know, whatever. But I think always having that sense, I don't know if guilt's the right word, but this sense of purpose and wanting to fulfill it, um, it it makes you strive more and more and and sometimes I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm alone there and then so anyway having this conversation with her and her being like agreeing Mm -hmm. with me it it helped me a like just be real with somebody you Mm -hmm. know just be vulnerable be open to some I don't really know her that well but like and also when you can connect she's not the type of person you're just gonna have any sort of easy conversation with she's too (laughs) intellect like if you try to just be like hey how are you I think she would just roll her eyes and be like let's 
get some substance here. Or yeah. Most, yeah, yeah, a lot no, of people I, I meet, I you know, a lot of people we all meet. Um, but in order to get into that place, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up to not trying to curate Mm-hmm. The, I mean, in, in we get we have access to so many people because we dance tango, so we're around people a lot. You see this a lot, and it's almost kind of like ugh, like every some people show up and they're always like mm-hmm. projecting this image of the best self that they are, and it can get a little exhausting. And uh, I like to just interact more, you know, in a real mm-hmm. place with people. So I appreciate what you say about that um, self curating. You know, and being open to expressing that or sharing yeah. when you fall and things like that. Yeah, I, I think as we create and share with people, we have to be very conscious about what we're putting out. Um, I don't want to project the image that I'm perfect and I have everything figured out. And I'm trying to, with my blog and with my platform, share my journey, share what I'm learning. I'm, you know, I'm only 24. I've done a lot, but there is still so much to do. And there's so much that we can learn from each other because often I feel like we feel that we're alone on whatever journey it is that we're Mm. going on but you know what King Solomon said 2000 something years ago there's nothing new under the sun and so if he said that whether or not he did or didn't but you know there's there's really not too many emotions that people haven't already felt somewhere sometime someplace and so I I just hope that with my platform I'm helping share um, the little bits of wisdom that I learned along the way. And it may not be the most profound thing that I discovered, but it's just sometimes it's the little thoughts and the little mind shifts that can start to build up and really change somebody's life. And so don't discount the little wins and don't discount the little discoveries as being insignificant because well, you don't I'm, know I think who I needs needed to hear, to hear that right now where I am in life so I appreciate <laughs> you saying that because I feel like sometimes yeah I put too much pressure on what I want to share because mm-hmm. I'm a older, little older now and I've experienced more and I'm mm-hmm. like well what's the I just wrote this stupid thing nobody gives a f-, you know and then I'll just like see but that's also sort of the beauty of it nobody's going to, like, new cycle so fast, nobody's going to care. And I feel like now that I, as I'm putting out, seriously, as I'm putting out more content, I'm realizing, like, nobody cares. And so <laughs> this sort of quick news cycle means that you could put out stuff, I mean, obviously not being a horrible person. You right, don't want to yeah, put yeah, out yeah. stuff that is completely sloppy, but we put so much energy, and that's why this whole deadline thing really helped me, is that if, if I really wanted to put out the perfect piece of writing, that could take me years, right. and it would never see the light of day. And so this quote, make it till you make it, I think is really important. And so the more that you make, you'll, make, you'll, you'll get closer to producing what you want to produce and it'll become easier. And you really, what you judge as being quote unquote quality content for yourself or for others, it, it's you not up to you. You can't really, yeah, you that's can't, the thing. You can't, you can't decide. And yeah. so you think that by putting out this beautiful curated piece right, yeah. that it's going to be the quality content that somebody needs to hear. It might be you waking up, you know, super late right after a really long milonga and saying, hey, this is what I learned from last night, completely unbuttoned and undone. And that might be what reaches that person. And so you as a creator are not... The in control of what in their control of what value yeah. is for the end consumer. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I, and I and I'm not unaware of that. It's just 
again, I put a lot of pressure on myself, so I try to cure. I don't. Here's a yeah, that's interesting. I don't try to curate their experience, but I do want to hope that they're going to enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we all share that at least yeah, hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in the end of the day, like you can't force somebody to love you. You can't force mm-hmm. somebody to like what you're creating. I can go and perform or, or make it a podcast or write something as well as you and. Mm-hmm. People are going to like it or not. And then, like you said, nobody gives a shit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't swear, but <laughs> like nobody, yeah. you know, at the end of the because I was talking with, you know, I mean, not just on this podcast, but in life, like people that put content out there and stuff. And they're all, um, I feel like the first time is always the scariest mm-hmm. when you first open up that door. And then you see the feedback you get or not get. And then it's like, do we need more volume or less volume? I think I accidentally got so excited by that statement and knocked out my own uh, headphones. Oh, hit the but button on the... I think I... No, I could hear it now. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just... I got those, and there's like a button on the thing, and sometimes... Yeah, no, I, I was very excited about your statement, and I uh. like moved my arms and knocked my, my headphones out, but I'm, I'm back. Um, anyway, I feel like the first time you put something out... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you would... I'm actually going to yeah. turn this into a question for you, because... Now that you've been doing this, you seem much more comfortable about it. But were you a little nervous the first time you started blogging or putting um, things out there? Or maybe not nervous, but I, just... I don't think... <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think I was so nervous so much as wanting to make it perfect. I see. Yeah. I was sort of crippled by, like, this has to be the most fantastic thing I've ever written. And I, I mean, I still hold myself to a high standard, but I was really trying to fight the if it's not perfect, there's no point of putting it out mentality because I feel like that's sort of in my personality I've been always more leaning towards the this piece of whatever is going to be representative of me if I can't do it well there's no point of doing it I have very similar expectations of myself, yeah which so, is why it's so, so hard for me to have hobbies yeah no <laughs> totally um and so I think just as I continue to write I sort of felt more comfortable in my voice and mm. not having to make sure that everything's super polished I also tend to opt for the sort of narrative voice of being very sort of friendly and casual so if you do read my blog posts it almost sounds like I'm talking to you as the reader it's not using crazy academic language it's not being super poetic but it's really almost conversational and so that also has helped me uh, figure out my voice and figure out how I want to write Um, and I think it's appropriate for the platform that I'm using the blogging it's not a published book. Do you um, read read back on what you wrote? Um, I I do read it at the time. I, I, I mean, I guess you right said you edited it. So, yeah. Sometimes I read it, you know, a little while after it's posted, and I, you know, f- I'll find a mistake here and there, and I'll edit it. But once it's out, it's pretty much out, unless I choose to expand upon it, or if it's a topic that, you know, really needs to be divided and. Sp- spoke more upon but I don't really do too much about ruminating whether or not it was the well best I'm asking ever. Uh, because you mentioned the finding your voice and I go back and forth with my tango and with mm-hmm. this project now uh, podcasting because I find that when I go back and look at what I've done mm-hmm. I can see my voice or hear my voice well, literally hear my yeah. voice or <laughs> yeah, see my yeah. dancing um, and it helps me figure out what is my voice. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like if you reread what you've done a year ago, you're sort of like, wow. That w-, or like, I don't know, have uh-huh. you ever looked at an old journal from when you were um, like a teenager and you're <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> no, most of the time, if I'm, if I'm looking back, I'm like, yeah, I, I wrote that. Or it sounds like yeah, I yeah. wrote that. 
Um, but does it help you have an identity of what your voice is, is I guess is what um, my question, or do you not I, sort of worry about? You know, until you've asked this, I didn't really think about it, and this kind of goes with the just do it sort of attitude that I'm, I'm trying to acquire. And when I post it, I put it out into the universe, and if it reaches somebody, it reaches somebody. If it doesn't, it doesn't, and I move on. I don't really think about looking at analytics or metrics. I often don't know how many people have read the post until what's been crazy is that now I'm traveling for tango and people will say, oh, you're Dagny? I, I love this blog post that you did about mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, that's crazy that like, not just my grandma is reading my <laughs> blog posts and that you're a complete stranger from the other side of the world. Yeah. And we're meeting and you happen to have read my thing. And so I think it's really awesome that that's now a possibility. But no, I don't really. Maybe I should. Well, <laughs> no, I just you meant. Think about it now. Um, I guess so what I was trying to get at I guess is like you're not trying to cultivate your voice you're just you're just being your voice you know yeah. what I mean that's yeah, what yeah. I meant I guess not about analytics and looking back mm-hmm. I mean I'll, I'll I'll I won't lie I look and see how many people <laughs> check the podcast you uh-huh. know and download them cuz I'm just curious Yeah but um but I also like when I watch me myself perform let's say with Chico I can I, I when I'm doing it it's mm-hmm. not at all the experience and you perform yeah, yeah it is not at all the experience the people are seeing yeah. <laughs> you know, at all. That's the one thing about tango that's so interesting because it, that element of the art form is a totally different thing from the from the performer than from the observer. Mm-hmm. It's like if you were to watch, you know, it's like a painter. You don't really watch people painting. Mm-hmm. You just look at the artwork. But you have no idea what they're processing when they're that. creating that artwork. Um, so when I watch myself perform with Chico or whomever, like I see what I'm doing and I analyze it a little bit and then I sort of study what I'm doing from the observer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like when you're writing, you're not you're 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 using your voice to say it, but you're not the recipient. So mm-hmm. once you are the recipient later on, maybe you forgot what you wrote and you look at it and you read it and you're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Or oh that's I don't really understand <laughs> yeah, what I was clear. trying to say there. Mm-hmm. But it gives you I guess what I'm trying to get at is like we cannot and it's what you said before, you can't cultivate the experience, but we see ourselves in the mirror one way, mm-hmm. but everybody else experiences us as something we can't, no idea about. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless we see ourselves from that perspective yeah. a, a little bit, and then you kind of see the voice maybe you're showing the world that mm-hmm. you don't know, necessarily know. I don't know. Does this make any sense? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. And, and what I want to add, uh, add to this is because nobody besides us has... 100% of the pieces, not not your parents, not your spouse, your significant other, nobody but you knows 100% your perspective. It's up to you to create that experience in your work and whether or not somebody gets it, understands it, you could only sort of guide them through it, but whether or not they resonate with you is not up to you. It's up to them because they're also approaching your work from their own lens. Yeah, that's true. And so... I I try to make sure when I'm making work that I'm being as clear and concise and always thinking about how do I provide value for the end consumer. Whoever is reading it, I don't want... I try to avoid rambling on, which they can decide to stop reading it if they want. Um, there is there is art that you make for you, and then there's, I think, also art that you make for other people. Um, and it's, it's a balance of um, what you're trying to achieve with... Um, the content that you put out for other people. And so the way that I might write something for me 
is not going to be the same way that I'm writing something if I'm trying to make an educational mm, piece. Yeah. And so I think I, I, I consider the person that is going to be reading it. I wouldn't write a diary entry for myself. The same, not that I do that, but I'm not, I'm not going to write that way for right. somebody else. And yeah. so I think I, I am conscious when I am writing. Am I making this clear? Am I making this concise? Are they going to derive value from this? And that kind of guides me in the way that I'm speaking and the way that I'm trying to explain things. And you also have to know who's generally your target audience in terms of language that you're using. And so on my blog, I try to make it very relaxed. But if I'm writing you know, about something that's more technical and I know that it's an audience that they're more within that niche. So if I'm doing a Tango blog specifically, I can use language that it wouldn't otherwise make sense mm -hmm. to use because I do have readers um, that are not tango dancers and so there are some pieces that I can be a little bit more broad with and be able to um, to speak more about like creativity in general and I know that this will provide value for people that are not in tango and provide value for people that are in tango versus writing a piece that I know is for tango dancers mm -hmm. and so I could cultivate the language yeah. for those people and um, make it a little bit more clear for them and the people that aren't tango dancers are going to be like no oh, this doesn't address me but hey, the people that it does address, it may really help. And so I think if you're worried about pleasing everybody, you'll please yeah, no one. Yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, I've mm -hmm. gone through that too in my, in my yep. journey. Yeah. And like, then, how do I please everybody in this room? And then I like, it's just like, yeah. yeah. I think that what I appreciate about anything that I value in art or in humanity is just, it has to be more concerned with just expressing honesty than mm -hmm. trying to it's like one thing that I that a guy I I don't know if you've ever met James Region from he used to be in Seattle now he's down mm, in so. Arizona, New Mexico, close mm -hmm. to you. <laughs> um, long time ago, he said something when we were watching a performance. I forget who we were watching, and he was just like, "I didn't come here to watch their technique," mm -hmm. you know. And I at the time I was like, "I did. I want to see. You know, like, <laughs> I want to see. You know." But yeah. I, as I evolved and stuff, it's like. Sometimes the best, most real thing is like the dirtiest thing you'll yeah. experience. Oh, I totally, and you can't totally over, understand what you're you know, saying. you can't put too much pressure on how it's going to be perceived mm -hmm. or how it looks or, or how, what, did you use the right word and da 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 da, da or, or do I have the right brush? It's more yeah. like, what am I trying to convey? How do I really get mm -hmm. what's in here out there? I think that is, that's the heart, that's the journey of the artist, and mm -hmm. that's what takes, you know, forever to yeah to, to I definitely find. understand what you're saying I, I distinctly remember it was a mala leche uh, a couple years ago and it was right when I was starting tango so I've been dancing for maybe five or six years now and I, I wasn't dancing for a large chunk of it in the middle when I had my ankle surgery but it must have been maybe four years ago I was really new and everything was exciting and every performance was just like wow this is the most amazing thing ever and so you called uh, everybody to go into the other room. And I'm going to keep this person also nameless. But I was like, oh, it's time for the performance. Come on, let's go, let's go. And he's like, uh, it's OK. I'm going to sit out here, get some water. Um, I was like, what? What do you mean you're going to sit out here? Um, and this, you know, like in the other room, he's like, well, when, once you've seen, you know, 16 plus years of performances, they're not as exciting as they were, you know. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm never going to get there. All these performances are always going to be amazing forever. <laughs> and so what I've come to realize is, A, I now understand what he was saying. Because once 
in anything once you're immersed in it long enough. Sometimes that shiny newness wears oh, yeah. down. Um, and B, what I what I now look for is is not the perfect technique anymore. I was always amazed in the beginning by like, wow, that's so precise, so sharp, so this and so that. But now I, I see and judge performances by, did they make me feel something? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, so they were technically great, but I felt nothing. I saw nothing, no expression in either of their faces. They could have been dancing with anybody else. There was no warmth in the embrace. It was very mechanical and sure, they extended and pointed and Baleoed to perfection, but if I don't see that certain quality that we can't put a name to, yeah. then that's for me what differentiates now good performances from amazing performances. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I just hope that I can, with any work that I do, try to maintain that sort of magical quality and not lose lose sight of the reason that you make any art and to express something. Um, to somebody or for yourself um, and it doesn't have to be always about making the perfect brushstroke it doesn't have to be about making the perfect sidestep it it is often about the thing that we can't see yeah. but we can feel however not to disagree but to I had I've had conversations with dancers who dance like that mm-hmm. like peers and colleagues and whatever and I've and I'm close friends with some of them and I'm like you know when I watch and I'll be mm-hmm. fucking blunt I'm just like you know I don't see there's something for me mm-hmm. and what they've expressed to me is that for them inside of what they're doing or I don't know how to say this like they feel for themselves mm-hmm. that creating that perfect line mm-hmm. for them is emotional yeah like they so, feel it and yeah I because I agree with you like mm-hmm. I am much more of like the dirty style tango dancer coming from ballet that's what i had to let go of a lot in the beginning because for me the the achievement was creating the perfect line and largely still is i'm still always pushing myself but i think at some point i had to realize like it's not all about creating that perfect xyz um and so while i i respect and that's where the all of the tango opinions can fragment and neither Mm. Of no opinion is going to be the correct one oh, for everyone, yeah, yeah. but I do, I do understand where they're coming from when they say the pursuit of that perfect step is the emotional thing for them, and I think I think that's fantastic. But what for me was amazing going into tango from ballet was that I felt like I could suddenly express something with somebody mm. that I wasn't able to do in an art form that everything's so reliant on how technically perfect you are, right. um, and that. Tango really gave me the channel to be that much more expressive in my dance, and it's okay if you know my arch isn't the most perfect one. That's not what it's being judged upon. I feel, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I could totally understand that for some artists, especially once they get to a certain level, it's like, yeah, we can make this as as high and as fast as possible, um, which is really cool. It's yeah, really I mean, cool. I, I I've I think maybe you would agree, but. I'm. I find that I'm pretty judgmental and critical in general <laughs> as a human, and and most people I talk to. Yeah, we. I mean, we, we all are, are. In, on the inside. And so, like something that I've been spending a lot of time over the past few years doing, especially is 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 any moment in, the, in when I'm watching, especially in tango, something. And I really love when Horacio was here recently teaching his workshop because the premise of the workshop was mm-hmm. this exact point. It was like instead of looking and judging, look and learn. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they doing and what are you witnessing mm-hmm. that you can learn from instead of 
what are they doing and why don't you like it or yeah. why don't you agree with it or <laughs> yeah. why don't you understand it um and i that sounds a little self-righteous or whatever but it's also like such a non-depressing way to live your because sometimes if you're yeah. always looking at life like that it's just so mm-hmm. shitty because you're just like i don't want to watch performances because i've seen it now it's one thing to say i've learned everything i can possibly learn by watching a performance i don't mm-hmm. need to go in the other room mm-hmm. but i've most of the people i know who don't like performances and i'm friends with them and i have and i don't disagree if they don't want to come mm-hmm. watch a performance hey i'd rather you not be in the room than sit yeah. there and roll your eyes or talk to somebody but I feel like they're they're coming from a negative place where it's like, well, I've just I've, you know I've seen mm-hmm. it all and I'm just kind of bored and I'm like, they have every right to feel that way, but I feel almost bad for them because it's yeah. like that's just you know that sucks. Yeah, and I think once we come to the point where we're closed to learning, that's when growth stops. And yeah. so I think it's really important that, and this is something that I started consciously doing a few years ago, um, was finding the positive. Um, and back to your point, this is actually spurred by a comment that somebody made is that they said that I was being negative about something. I don't even remember the situation, but I thought I was being realistic (laughs) (laughs) about whatever it was. (laughs) Um, And so it it really made me think, oh, okay, there, there is always a positive. And so if you shift your mindset to thinking about what can you see that's good, and it took it took work, and it's still it's ongoing work. But every single time that I come up with something negative, I immediately try to replace it with a positive. And so if I'm watching a performance and I'm like, oh, I don't really like how they're doing this, I try to snap myself out of it and say, Okay, what can I see that What can I see that is good? Mm-hmm. And what can I learn from the situation? And what is positive? And bringing it back to reality in that, does it really matter? In the larger scheme of things, does it really matter? Because as long as I'm happy, healthy, and so is my family, like it's all good. Like how how bad is this thing that you're looking at really? And do you really need to be negative about whatever it is that you're being negative about? And it's it's mindset training. It really is difficult mm, yeah. to every time you think a negative thought, try to think a positive thing. And now it's at a point where if I think something negative, I feel icky almost. Mm. I'm like, oh, I was I was just being negative about that. And we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're human, and right. so we're gonna have negative thoughts yeah. and. It's really about, again, being gentle with yourself and saying, is there a better way for me to approach this? Mm. Is there a kinder way for me to approach this? What can I see that is good? Because everything is a learning opportunity if you allow it to be. If you don't allow it to be, then you won't learn anything. You won't progress. You'll say, I've seen it all. There's nothing left to learn. Well, well, going back to what you said, uh, in the early days of tango, I think for pretty much everybody, Mm -hmm. otherwise they would have quit. (laughs) So not everybody, but everybody that stuck with it, it was, everything was golden sparkles and sunshine and all it was like oh my god like blah, blah, blah. and you appreciate this world that until then you didn't know existed mm-hmm. until you get to that point where you're take it for granted so now you're able to put a negative mm-hmm. and then we have to either you know a lot of people stay there and then that's why i feel like the average tango lifespan is from like four to six years mm. Because you get to a, you you get re, you hit this peak in the beginning yeah. and then you hit this valley and then it's really hard to come out of a valley. Mm-hmm. So then you're like, well, I think I'll try something else and blah blah blah. But if you can, if what? How did you put it? Train your mind. No. Mm-hmm. You just said something about. Uh, it's like hot, tra- training your mind to see the good yeah, in situations yeah, and, and, and seeing what you can learn. That's a, a maturation process that doesn't happen when everything you experience in life is always shiny and new. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people spend their lives in that state. 
Mm-hmm. They're always dating. They're always moving from job mm-hmm. to job. They're yeah, every they they need to live in a place where yeah. everything is shiny and new because they don't like to go deeper or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all have our own emotional complexities. But when you, I feel like when you stay in something for a long enough time, you can take it for granted, and then that could go somewhere darker. Mm-hmm. And then you need to change how you see it, and that's part of match, maturing in a way mm-hmm. to sort of elevate that experience back into a good place if that makes any sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we're, we're talking about a, about happiness which mm-hmm. is very very difficult to to pinpoint and i think is where the conversation that we're all having all of us being the collective consciousness that is people should be having um as we're in a society that's now talking about you know who has the fastest car and the shiniest goldest watch um, we sort of lost this conversation about happiness, and I really hope um, moving forward. And it seems like there's there's now a resurgence of of a pursuit of happiness, countering the very major um, illusion of happiness. Uh, the illusion of happiness being consumerism. Right. That, that right was yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. Did you see about? I didn't. So I just had. I was. My friend Jason was on the last episode, mm-hmm. and we hang out all the time. And the other yeah, day, I was, I was he was like, he just started this new podcast, and it's about happiness. Did mm-hmm. you hear about this yet? I haven't heard about it, no. And I, that's all I know. I forget the name. I forget the, the woman who does it. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I read an article she wrote, like, in The New Yorker a while mm-hmm. ago or something. But I'm curious to check it out. Maybe when I do the intro for the show, I'll, I'll mention it so I don't uh-huh. leave listeners hanging right now. But... It talks about like what we have been programmed to believe is happiness mm-hmm. and why so many people are depressed now yeah. versus what creates that actual sensation of happiness mm-hmm. inside of the self. And they're vastly different things. They're just yeah. very different. I, th- I think that also we had to talk about that being happy is not lack of ambition. And so you can be happy where you are, but that doesn't mean that you're not being ambitious. And so I think, mm, I yeah, we have to come and find a balance to say that it's okay to be happy and content of where in where you are, but still want more. Right. And so there's been so much um, emphasis on hustling, striving for more, you know, becoming that in the top 1% earners, you know, like making money and consumerism and getting to the top as the point of happiness, but not so much a conversation of, is that actually going to make you happy? Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there is a point that there's creature comforts and we need money to live and to be comfortable, but it doesn't, it doesn't, um, money doesn't define us. And if we're comfortable living on a smaller income, there's no problem um, with that. And that doesn't mean that you're not ambitious, that you're lacking, um, but you found the happiness within yourself. And that's something that nobody can take away from you. As well, the as ambition we, can be about growing a community yeah, or helping people exactly. or something playing volleyball or you know mm-hmm. whatever and does, the ambition doesn't have to be strictly on how to create greater wealth yeah. and you know putting all of your sense of pride and self-value in that mm-hmm. one one thing uh brigitte you know brigitte mm-hmm. right like one time i i was having a conversation with her and i, I want to have her on this show for sure and i used the word success or successful mm-hmm. and she we, we ended up having this huge conversation mm-hmm. because her idea of successful was like the, st- the businessman who da 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 mm-hmm. and my idea of successful is like inner joy and peace and happiness yeah. you know but yeah. it's just this word that can symbolize so many and like ambition too mm-hmm. and these words that can be 
obviously used in many different contexts. So we it, we mm -hmm. have to kind of go a little deeper to understand what we're, yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you in, in terms of defining success as happiness. That's sort of back to even the first point I was making is just finding for me what happiness is. It was it it wasn't lying in imagining myself in a hospital assessing people's illness. Mm. It, it, I didn't know what it was, but it, I did not see my happiness being there. I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew that I really enjoy working with health and helping people find happiness, but I, I knew because I was reflecting within myself what would make me happy, and it was not being in, in a hospital. And this is after extensive research um, doing years of, of clinical research and also doing a lot of shadowing and and I realized that it was stifling my creativity but I figured out how to address that and be happy simultaneously and that's cooking that's teaching that's dancing and it's helping people's health in other ways yeah, for, for sure. me you know health, health starts in the kitchen and mm. emotional health you know helping people realize that they can accomplish something brings me great joy and so reframing for me what happiness is and really examining is it going to make me happy to have doctor attached to my name and be successful making you know a six-figure income is that is that my definition of happiness and so in the two-year step back that I've been uh, examining that I realized that no that's not my definition of happiness and if it's somebody else's then that's great Right, That's yeah, perfect. Of course, yeah. Um, but everybody has to figure it out for themselves and we really that's that's what there all there is to life is to find your your happy place and keep that priority in in sight and your set of priorities is not necessarily somebody else's and as long as we're not judging somebody, we're all we're all judging everyone all the time. As long as we're not judging somebody's values for being different than our our than ours, then we're good. Because what I value is not necessarily what somebody else values. And so basically do no harm. <laughs> Just be happy and do well, no Sharon harm. Well, Sharon has a, a screenshot on her phone that says, take no shit but do no harm. Yeah. That's, like, I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, 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 there's the idea of something and then there's the reality. And, like, and I've, it's, it's actually, it might sound silly, but there was a quote in a movie, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, um, forget the movie it was one of the later movies he made but he's an he's an oil man and he's like this tycoon back in the 1800s mm -hmm. and and at some point in the movie he says you know oil men don't love oil they love digging in the dirt <laughs> and it's like if you want to be the idea of something you have to consider the what actually it is you're doing do you want mm -hmm. if you want to be a doctor do you want to be in a building all day or in a laboratory do you like a mm -hmm. laboratory yeah because then maybe you'll like to be a doctor but if you just think you want to be a doctor but without thinking about the everyday tangibles that are attached mm -hmm. to it you have to love your process yeah you may know then you may realize after you mm -hmm. spend all that time like i don't want to be in this building in this environment all the time even yeah. though i love the idea of the work but you found something that for now at least, that mm -hmm. gives you that same sense of accomplishment that you're helping people. What you said is that I can't agree more, like health starts in the kitchen or mm -hmm. healthy lifestyle yeah. starts in the kitchen. This is, if I ever uh, see a doctor who doesn't tell me like, if I'm, I had a friend who was mm -hmm. going through some depression a long time ago and he went to see his doctor and the first thing his doctor said is like, what, what do you consume? Mm -hmm. And what we consume is not just the food too, it's the people, mm. it's the thoughts around us, it's, mm -hmm. it's the books we read. <laughs> 
if you you know or the audiobooks now that we listen or podcasts we listen to it's it's everything that we're consuming right. and so we there's some quote that we're like the sum of the five people closest to us and that might not even be our parents maybe it is maybe it's our best friend but like you really need to evaluate the the sources uh, the lot the loudest sources um of opinion in your life and how they're affecting you and that could be the podcaster you listen to every day that you spend hours listening to and how they're affecting you and so if the the things that you're consuming are toxic to you it doesn't have to be food um, well there's a study i don't know if it's it's probably i mean obviously it's not a mm-hmm. hundred it's a study but they were saying like research has shown whatever you want to call it that it's not necessarily the education you got that develops you as the person mm-hmm. it's the peers you had while you mm-hmm. were there that that kind of shape your world yeah. world view and so like if you're in school as a child and you get this amazing education yeah. the five people closest to you could actually be what have, have, have cultivated you yeah. to have the outlook you had i mean this can go into like white supremacy or <laughs> any racism thing yeah. like you know it's the people you associate with that are going to have that effect on you more than mm-hmm. other things yeah so yeah i think really examining who you have around you and i now now that you've mentioned this i the first thing i thought of was that like wow I'm really really happy and fortunate to have a ton of amazing women around me amazing lovely smart kind women that from you know my earliest days I'm still very close to friends from you know middle school and growing up together through high school through college and now that I've always had really positive people and whether or not I've attracted you you find what you're looking for I think I think that's what I'm what I'm trying to say um if you're looking for positivity, you'll find it. And if you're looking for negativity, mm-hmm. you'll find it. And so if you're trying to attract positivity, I hope and I wish for you that you're fortunate enough to find it. And I am very grateful for the people around me that have molded me and shaped me and grown up with me and grow with me, um, who happen to be kind, strong people. Um, and I think if you project that energy, you'll find it. But you really have to assess if there is toxicity coming at you, where it's coming from, and it might be hard to cut it off, especially mm-hmm. if the if it's if it's a person um, cutting off somebody that's very toxic to you, and really having to prioritize your mental health first, and realize this this has to stop. Can we repair this? Can we make this better somehow? Or you, you might just have to say no. I yeah. can't accept this into my life anymore because this is affecting my health mm-hmm. um, and affecting my happiness ultimately. That's true. And that could be you. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that could be something inside of you that you have to, be you, which, you know, go oh, through phases sure. where you're like, you are, you are your own toxicity and you have to. Yeah, <laughs> oh, for sure. But it, it all goes back to like, you know, when you're, when you wake up around the right people and you put yourself in the right environment that promotes the best way to love yourself, mm-hmm. you can help. I mean, you said something about you've spent your time around amazing women and I was going to say I have too because like you know having Chico and Sharon in my life have especially Chico for well no but having like uh, that that nourishment yeah um I mean guys are great too and but (laughs) I've also had some very good guys yeah Yeah. me too and like and but having uh having these special relationships with with Chico and Sharon and and people uh, other certain other women in my life that I've known over the years like it gives you um, a good foundation emotionally, I think, yeah. as well. And I'm not saying it's always gender-based, but I've noticed just in doing this podcast, mm-hmm. the conversations I have with men and women are vastly <laughs> different. Yeah. 
and I don't think it's based on your sexuality, maybe gender. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I've just mm -hmm. noticed that they go in very different <laughs> ways. They're both kind of philosophical, yeah. but in just different ways. Yeah. No, um, I think that's also why it's so good to have like a balance mm -hmm. too. I have my my women around me who I, I brought this point up because I've seen them do things in a world that's telling us that we can't. Mm -hmm. I've seen them do things and say, yes, we can. And since I was around them from being very young to so my peers, accomplishing such amazing things, it's also cultivated in me the ability that I can. So I'm growing up around a lot of other women who are becoming doctors and guy friends too, but just seeing all of these people around me achieving things that they want to be doing and being very strong in a world where, you know, what female doctors weren't um, as accessible and didn't really it didn't become their careers as often to see this shift and to see that the immediate people around me are helping make that shift is very inspiring to me and I'm very happy to see them pursue this and so I, I'm seeing a lot of yes yes I can do this around me and that's also feeding into my abilities to believe in what so I'm doing. So now that we're on this and we should mm -hmm. I don't know what your time is like but I should I want to ask yeah. you going into tango a little bit on this idea because obviously it's a male-dominated culture at least mm -hmm. in the teaching world yeah although you know there are the couples but I always I mean obviously I worked with a lot of male teachers mm -hmm. because they're the majority but I've also really enjoyed working with like Brigitte or Louisa or mm -hmm. different female teachers that are just making their own way in the in the world of tango mm -hmm. and you're starting you've been teaching now and you're doing the um body training, <laughs> so, strengthening feet yeah. stuff, right? Conditioning. Mm -hmm. So what you're referring to is when I first started trying to make a class on my own for, for a while, and we're going to start up again. I've been teaching with Tomas Corbelan, which we're doing a lovely group class. Um, but I, was cr I created this program that I was teaching on my own um, about body strength and alignment and coordination for tango dancers, kind of playing on all the things that I... I grew up doing, which is ballet. I also did Krav Maga for many years, uh, which is martial arts, yoga every single day. And so I, I took all of that into consideration and tried to create this sort of holistic regimen that I helped myself after I had ankle surgery, which I was not supposed to be able to walk comfortably, let alone dance. It was the complete refusal that I would not be doing my favorite thing on, on the planet that helped me get through this really, really intense injury. But I, after that injury, realized how important it is that I remain, that I respect my body's alignment, which is something that I felt like wasn't being talked about in the tango community so much. It was a lot of, this is how you do this step, or this is how it should feel. But we rarely really break down exactly how to take the step. And so respecting your own personal body alignment, and that was what inspired me to create this class. And I... I was doing it for a little while. I did have quite a few people come to me that had injuries and we worked through them, but I wasn't being as consistent as I would like to, to it to be. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually ended up serendipitously starting an absolute beginner class because uh, an acquaintance of mine recommended somebody to me. And then we started. I started working with her, and that sort of Monday class ended up being her and then her friends who came and then their friends that came and then now suddenly I'm doing a beginner class and I haven't given up on this uh, this alignment course that you're talking about um, but I, I recognize that what I think that people need and what people are searching for are two different things and I think 
my role as a teacher is to to try to figure out that balance and so now when I'm teaching my beginners it's more alignment based and so I'm really trying to give them a foundation that they will be able to dance no matter what the pattern is rather than giving them a pattern right away mm-hmm. and that is a turn off for some because especially in New York people just want to get onto the dance floor but I am very fortunate that I have a group of ladies that really trusted me with their process and I was giving them drills and um, and exercises to do without them knowing that it's going to apply to a basic eight step and then suddenly on the fourth class I have a more advanced leader and he's leading them they're able to follow perfectly because they were learning the alignment right from the get-go. And so yeah. once they were given the pattern, they didn't have a pattern in their brain. They were just following. Right. And so um, as things ebb and flow, you figure out what works and what doesn't. You have to learn how to be flexible. Um, I'm thinking about doing all of this, this alignment and strengthening stuff as a workshop in the future. Um, but it, it evolves, and you have to know what people want and what is helpful because what what a teacher thinks in their brain is what the community needs is not what the community realizes that they need or what they want and so you you got to learn how to balance that um as a as a teacher and as a business person yeah um when you brought up what the community needs Mm -hmm. it's funny because like what the community needs isn't generally the people that come to your class mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. you need to teach navigation and i'm like we teach navigation it's just <laughs> none of these people at this milonga come to that yeah. class like that's and not i can't control that and you have yeah and as a teacher you have to recognize that you you can't control that and so you have to you find your tribe i think you right. find the people that resonate with you that resonate with your message and, and i think you need to stick to what you feel is your Mm-hmm. what you want to bring to the to that world yeah. as a teacher like because i've taught with, i mean i've chatted with teachers for so many years and we've gone to like teacher retreats and we've had uh-huh. these like weekends and and, and uh, for a long time the, the consensus which i never agreed with was we need to teach what the people want otherwise they won't come to class yeah and i'm like if you have a child who wants to eat candy all the time <laughs> you don't just yeah. give him candy because he yeah. wants because he'll start crying if you don't you need to help them appreciate and cultivate in them mm-hmm. the knowledge of what they need to, is going to what, what is going <laughs> to serve them yeah you know and make them excited about it evan yeah. evan said once a long time ago he's like i'm always a fan of teachers that make me excited about things that i didn't realize i wanted to learn oh i love that you know and i thought that was a beautiful way to put it uh-huh. and i think like if you have this idea that you feel and maybe you'll learn over time you're uh-huh. going to change it you're going to tweak yeah. it you know like we all yeah, do yeah. but it's like this is what works for me and this is what mm-hmm. got me here and i can't teach what didn't because i don't know it yeah um how am i going to inspire you to be excited about this as much as i was yeah and then yeah the people are some people are going to come and be like yeah whatever it's mm-hmm. not for me yeah and that you can't please everybody like yep. you said earlier so totally and for, for better or for worse since i started out doing tango so young i didn't really have too much money to to put into classes uh, thankfully, a lot of my abilities came from ballet. Inherently, I was approaching this dance with a huge advantage of having so much body awareness. Um, and then I did later train with Tomas a lot. But I, I didn't have sort of what the framework was of what a group class was supposed to be. Mm. I, I, didn't rem- I don't remember what I was taught from, from day one. And so I, I'm coming up with something that I think is it's the way that I wish I was taught, mm-hmm. I think. And so... 
I I really don't remember what it's supposed supposed to be right. in a beginner absolute beginner class. Well, that's probably good and because so, if yeah. you had had because be, I had to un, and I'm, I'm not putting anybody down, but I I remember my beginner classes, mm-hmm. and if you know me, you know who that teacher was, and I'm not saying it was bad. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's it just so long created ago. an expectation so in my <laughs> head of how I should run a beginner class. Uh-huh. And then after several years, I was like, that's not how I want to run my beginner class. Uh Because for me, that's not going to serve the students in the direction I believe they should go. Uh, And it's not to say that I don't agree with the way this person teaches his beginners. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's not how I want to do it. So I think in a way, you're probably, maybe you're lucky (laughs) because you're just on your own already. And you can just sort of take it without having that, like, that other voice in your head saying, maybe we should. Yeah, no, I I do. I mean, it's scary in itself of, I, I don't you know the feeling the imposter syndrome of I don't know what I'm doing but I it's my students that force me to be creative and I I think it comes from a a viewpoint of I feel like there's abundance I'm approaching this from an abundance standpoint of I can come up with new exercises and there is no one right way to do this and some that's something that I also don't like not so much within our community and when I'm saying our I'm looking at you Adam and the people that we tend to be interacting with. I think it's a very giving community, but there are um, aspects of tango that's very secretive that you they don't want people to record because they don't want the material to get out. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's very like hush-hush. Because, protective. Yeah, it's protective because students are a commodity. Yeah. And for me, that's kind of frustrating because like, there's nine million people in New York. I'm sure we could convince two more of, <laughs> two more of them to start dancing. But as soon as you start to think of people as a commodity that must be hidden and your your thoughts and your knowledge as a commodity that must be hidden, you're limiting yourself and you're limiting your students. And so, I mean, this is just my, my opinion um, and, and my viewpoint, but I, I think that as a teacher, you have to believe in your abilities and that you can come up with new material. And if there's that one guy that's recording it and then never comes to your class again, fine. You know, if they show that to other people, fine. But that guy's going to have to come back to you for new material because he can't generate it himself. And so you have also, to believe that you can do it yourself. I've you know? taken thousands of classes. Mm-hmm. I've taken hundreds of them with some of the same teachers for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm still learning the material that that teacher yeah. is after hundreds of hours. Uh-huh. One guy or woman taking one video mm-hmm. of me teaching they're not going to have any idea what to do with that material. They're even if they do watch, even <laughs> if they watch it again, because I've definitely taken no, videos that I've just, never watched again. Oh, that too. Yeah, you, you got to watch it again. But yeah, yeah, I've, I've never felt threatened by the sense of competition. At least, yeah, even mm-hmm. in the world, but in, at least in New York. And it's yeah. not because I feel like I'm better than anybody, but it's kind of what drives me. It's like, you know, we're gonna. We never, I mean, Chico and I, it, it, sometimes it's to the point of frustration, but, like, we never teach the same class twice. Uh-huh. We're always develop. Every time we do these series, mm-hmm. yeah, we might teach the same topic, but it's like, yeah, well, where are we now so with much, our dance, yeah. and how do we want to approach it this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now we're working on the embrace, right? Maybe five years ago we taught this seminar on the embrace, but that was five years yeah. ago. We had to, like, break. We we're going to meet in 20 minutes and <laughs> yeah. talk about how we're going to teach it tonight because... Where are we now and how do we want to reassess how we want to give this information and, and how we want mm-hmm. people to interact? Because I feel like now, and I shouldn't talk so much as this show, your show, but no, no, like we're less about telling people what they should do and uh-huh. more about them telling us how they're trying to achieve what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. I've learned also in my own time that like 
when the teacher asks me what what is what am I experiencing right now I have to think mm -hmm. and instead of the teacher just telling me all the time yeah. this is what you're experiencing and you're like okay and then you leave and you're <laughs> like I don't know but like Marcelo Gutierrez who mm -hmm. is a dear teacher of mm -hmm. mine he really challenges you. He's like, what are you experiencing right now? What is happening? And most students just look at him like, don't ask me that question. Don't ask me that question. I don't want to answer that question. Uh -huh. But then you have to like think like, okay, what am I experiencing? And so mm -hmm. I try to use that also more. So anyway, as a teacher, just constantly changing how we approach things. And, and it just, it also keeps it inspiring because it's yeah. not just the same old thing over and over again. Yeah, I think that's the beautiful thing about tango is that there there is so much to learn and that I'm never going to learn it all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm never going to get to the end point and say, yeah, I've learned how to do tango. There's still so much to learn. And bringing it back to being a female teacher, I don't know. Um, I can't imagine being a male teacher. That's not my lens. That's not my viewpoint. I think for me, the I've realized what I'm specializing in and it's not necessarily a strength or a weakness. It just is. And that I don't have all of this huge vocabulary of patterns to teach, but I know what feels good. And I know as a woman and as a follower how to make things feel good. And so I've really, I'm trying to dig into that and also my background in alignment in ballet and in understanding fundamentals of movement and body awareness, which most people who aren't dancers don't have. Mm -hmm. And so you know, a lot of the exercises that I have people do, it's like, can you look down and tell me the angle your foot is on the floor? Right. Do you know where you just put your foot? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times people have to look down at their foot to see where it is in space. Whereas yeah. I'm approaching this knowing, chastising myself for not putting it on the floor at the correct angle. And so I, I don't see being a woman and being an individual as a teacher um, necessarily uh, negative. It just like being in a partnership has its pros and cons. And so I think going forward, I just really need to draw on my strengths and draw on what I know and trust that I have information that's helpful. And if I can best figure out how to serve my students, that will guide me into helping um, teach them to the best of my abilities. And of course, their feedback is imperative. And so always, you know, assure, being assured that I'm explaining it in a way I think for me that's the biggest thing is you can be a good performer and not a good teacher and you could be a good oh, teacher yeah. and not a performer and being a good teacher has a lot to do with um, being able to communicate mm -hmm. and if your students are truly understanding and feeling inspired by the work and so you have to realize that they're not coming into this as at the same with the same lens as you are and so some things that are inherently obvious to you are not inherently obvious to them. And I think that's really what's guiding me, especially for absolute beginners that I'm working with now, is that I have to realize that these people are, are discovering their feet. They're discovering that they have these things attached to the bottom of them, and they have to move them in a coordinated manner. Mm -hmm. And how can I be gentle with them and make them believe in themselves? Because once they believe that they can do it, they can do anything. And I've, I've really seen some, one student that, when she came to me, it wasn't two left feet, it was she didn't know she had feet mm -hmm. and by week six just her confidence was amazing like when she realized that she could actually do it and she was getting it and it was my job as the teacher to explain it to her in a way that made sense for her and not get frustrated that she wasn't understanding it in the way that right. the other students were yeah. because other students were getting it and she wasn't mm -hmm. so it's my job as a good teacher to to figure out how to communicate to her it's it's not that she doesn't get it, it's that I'm not explaining it well enough. 
And so if you approach it like that, I think that's how you I be feel like you have to have as much patience for your students as for yourself. Yeah. Like, because we've over the years we've all had students who don't take in information or the, the mm-hmm. words are just symbols. So like you say something, ninety percent of the room gets it, and then there's that one or two people who are like, I don't. Yeah, you know. I'm completely. And visual. I've seen teachers just either ignore them or get frustrated. Yeah, and it's a balance, I of course. love having students that don't understand me. Yeah, because we can have a conversation in front of everybody mm-hmm. that kind of like expands on the pro- point and then other people in the room also like, realize they didn't oh, wait, understand what the hell was going that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that's, yeah. I thought you said that too, but no. And then uh-huh. it, it really opens up communication, which is, yeah. is extremely important because that's what we're, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing when we're, we're teaching yeah. something. We're trying to communicate to them how they can open those doors inside. Yeah, totally. I'm completely a visual learner. And so if you Mm. say something to me, it just goes in one ear and out the other. I'm not getting it. But if I see it done, I can immediately understand what you're trying to say. So you got to understand that people learn differently and that those two people that weren't understanding anything you were saying, maybe that wasn't the channel in which they learn. And so being gentle with them and yourself to figure out how can we together come to the best solution, it's it's a process. Mm, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's what being a teacher is. It's, it's learning how to, to guide, be a guide and to help them find the answer, not give them the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. So you have a class right now on Mondays at uh-huh. 7. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm moving it to eight, 8 to 10. It was 7 to 9, but I was having problems with the timing. And it, it's hard to figure out people's work schedules yeah. <laughs> because, you know, with New York, um, everybody's on a different schedule. But right now it's 8, eight, eight to 10. It's 8 to 10. Um, okay. Yeah, 7 was too early for mm-hmm. some people to make it. And where is that? Um, I work within the with two Ripley Greer, Ripley Greer Studios, Ripley and so it it's right now it depends on the day. We're still really small, and so I book according to the number of people that confirm. So it's okay. within two studios, and you can check it out at tangofit.nyc. That's where all of the details are, and they're updated um, on the day of to figure out the room. But it's either across the street from each other. It's okay, so, so yeah, yeah it's so it's you're not you're not traveling to the mm-hmm. other side of Manhattan. Um, and so that tangofit.nyc is also where you can find information about Confarsita, which is my brand now. And I'm creating artwork for tango dancers and also clothing and jewelry. And so that's very exciting. Um, there's more where this is coming from. And this is all, you're catching me at a very early stage. I just today registered for my sole proprietorship. And so I want to do a lot more digital artwork. And so... Um, that's going to be up and running on my Etsy, but there's more to come. You'll, you'll, you guys will know about it if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. At my, um, my name Dagny Miller or Dagny Arizona, you'll be able to find me there and keep up with the journey. But cool. it's just started, and it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and I have to remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like all of this art stuff and creative stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time yeah, to chat with me and everybody listening. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast. Very cool. Yeah? Uh-huh. Nice. Um, it's going to be very fun, I think, listening to my voice <laughs> <laughs> once I listen to this. So that will be fun. Yeah, good. Well, thanks, Dagny. Yeah, I'll thanks see so you much for having me. probably soon. Yes, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. So there we were with Dagny. It's always nice to sit down and chat with people from the community, get to know them a little better, and uh, share their thoughts and stories with everybody else who's listening. I appreciate that you are out there listening. As I said before, please subscribe or leave a comment or 
As Zoe did last Wednesday, come up to me at the Milonga and ask, when is your next podcast coming out? Actually, several people have come up to me recently over the past week or two. So that's nice. Um, I have some guests lined up for the next several weeks. We'll probably be going through until Thanksgiving time, and then I'll take another break for the holidays. In January, I'll be in Buenos Aires, and I don't think I will take this equipment, so I don't think I'll have any interviews from south of the border. But uh, I hope to have a few more out for you before the holiday season starts. Until then, enjoy the fall, and I hope you... uh, Have a great journey. Take care, everybody.